2: Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the resubscribing to the Not The Top 20 podcast of the podcast. It's not looking good. And I'm joined by the junior yellow card in four minutes of the podcast, Adam. Buckle up, Ernie, we're in for a bumpy ride. And finally, the Phillips black eye of the
3: podcast. How did it end up there? It's Jacob Stanbridge, <laughs> Jacob Hading. Hey, John. Um, it's uh, It's nice in a way to sort of mark the card of being the one to have the final spot in the intro for some reason other than being the debutant so um thank you for <laughs> that and i'm okay uh, if you'd asked me this yesterday i think i probably would have said i feel like how calvin looked but i'm a I'm be- bit better today for having slept and um, how are you yeah I'm doing well um in, in the
2: same sort of situation i think good to have adam back on the podcast adam how are you doing
4: I'm alright, it's very cold today, it's very snowy where I am, but um, yeah, I'm very well, thank you, despite yesterday.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that will be the, the general theme of, of the podcast, uh, despite yesterday. Let's just get into it, I don't think you can delay the inevitable, so let's just <laughs> jump into the the game summary. Obviously the game yesterday was a 0-0 against Brighton, which I think on the face of it we'll all be pleased with in terms of it as a point that, that we will see as a point gained rather than two points lost. Um we were convinced that Brighton would go in with a 3-4-3 um, and then when the when the lineup came out we were convinced they were in a 3-5-2 but in the end they ended up lining up in a 4-2-3-1 which seems perfect for our 4-1-4-1 and we say that all the time and we often say on this podcast that we feel as though we play better in a 4-1-4-1 but in the end that proved not to be the case. Leeds lined up similar to the way they did last time out against Spurs. Um, Pascal Strout was dropped for Junior furpo, but the rest of the back line was the same with Calvin Phillips dropping into the centre-back spot, and Urente pushing out to right-back, of which more in a little while. Um, In midfield, Forshaw was joined by Dallas and Rodrigo, and they were flanked by Harrison and Rafinha, and then we saw Dan James playing as the lone striker again. Um, In many respects, I'm struggling to know how to summarise this game. It felt like they battered us in the first half, and then they battered us in the second half um they went went man for man in the press they didn't let us build out from the back and when they won the ball back they dribbled and used passing combinations to break our press open wide um in the second half we saw Strout come on for Phillips and Shackleton come on for Junior um both of these players who had had a, a first a pretty torrid first half uh we then saw Dallas drop into left back and Shackleton filled in at right back um the second half felt like less of a battering, and Bielsa has suggested that it wasn't. The question is whether or not it was positive, it was positive, uh, and for me it wasn't particularly much more positive than the first half. Um, according to the models, Leeds put up around 0.8 xg, Statsbomb had us around 1 xg, uh, and of that I think about 0.3 came from set pieces, um, and, and about 0.3, 0.4 came from that Tyler Roberts late chance, which, which where, where Brighton gave the ball away in build-up, and so that basically leaves us beyond those... Those two realities, which obviously are a part of football, but um, it does only leave us with 0.2, 0.3 XG created from open play, which I think is a little bit of an indictment uh, for a team who look to sort of create by being direct uh, and attacking. Um, so with a horrible December fast approaching, these next few games are supposed to be the ones we pick up points in. Uh, but this this 0-0 felt like an undeserved gift in many respects. So that is the, the game summary. I think the most miserable game summary yet. It remains to be seen. How you guys feel about it. So let's just jump into the interrogation, which is where I ask you guys five questions about the game itself. Oh, it's over. We'll jump in with Jacob. Question one. We were convinced of some sort of three four three, three, five, two hybrid before the game. Why do you think Graham Potter went for a four two three one?
3: So I think there's probably a few factors that could be at play here. Um although I'll leave the most significant one till last. Um I think in part he may have thought that Leeds' personnel differences compared to our games last season um, required a kind of different shape. I particularly think that about Patrick Bamford uh, not being in. And last season we had three centre-backs and he probably thought, or or may have thought rather, that the players who may be playing up front for Leeds will be less of a a big deal um, for his team and so they could get away with just having Duncan Webster. Um, Also... He may well have expected that Pascal would have played at left back, and, and Bielsa said after the game that, or at least hinted that that was only because of like a fitness concern or something that he didn't. And so he may have wanted to try and just get T high and wide against Pascal, who is many things but isn't the fastest player in the world. But then, as we were sort of talking about before we started recording, I think as well, the decision was probably taken to match us man for man in the press and. That certainly bore fruit, um, just as it has with other teams in the past, like Arsenal under Mikel Arteta, Tottenham in the second half last week, and and now this as well. Yeah, and when we talk about the the Arsenal
2: Arteta result, which I think is quite an important result last season, because it was I think one of the games where we were really found out last season. Um, Arsenal obviously lined up in a four two three one as well, and the, their ten sort of sat on the um, sat on the the pivot, the Leeds pivot during. Um, during build-up when Leeds had the ball, but um, when the goalkeeper had the ball, would press up against the centre-backs and not leave anyone free on on the back line. So um, that was similar to what was happening yesterday with Jakub Moda. He was sort of sitting on the on the pivot when Leeds had possession, but then um, from build-up from the back from from the goalkeeper was just sort of pushing forward, uh, putting pressure on on the centre-back, keeping the keeping the, the pivot in the cover shadow as well. Adam, I'll come to you on this one. Did you have any additional thoughts on that? Did you did you have any um, other thoughts on why that 4 3 one was preferred over their usual structure?
4: I think Jacobs hit the nail on the head with the sort of going from man for man with the press. Moda's not nominally a, a number 10 or attacking midfielder, but he was basically playing that role. And I think it's, as you say, to sit on the last man and to sort of put pressure on him. And, and we'll talk about Phillips later, but he didn't really have the best game, did he? Are we really that surprised that Potter's got the better Bielsa, though? It feels like he's got his number in recent history. And um, yeah, I feel like that was very much a point gained rather than two points dropped, having seen how the game played out. And I was I was pretty happy that we got a draw in the end because it really wasn't the best.
2: So let's move on to the second question then, which is about that back line that you've mentioned already, Adam. Um, we, we were surprised to see it last time out. Um, against Spurs with, with Llorente pushed out wide. We we obviously had Stroud as a as left-back in that game as well and Calvin Phillips dropping into the back line.
4: What did you make of it, Adam? Why do you think that Bielsa went for that back line again? I'm honestly not sure. I'm kind of at a loss with this because it feels like at times in the past he's been forced with injuries or illness or whatever it might be to play square pegs in round holes. But now he's doing it out of his own choice and I can't really get my head around it. If you have Urente. Uh, Phillips, Dallas, Furpo, and Cooper, there's a certain way we can all understand of how you would set that up. And yet we see completely the opposite of what we're expecting. And, and instead it's Forshaw at the base midfielder and, and Phillips at the back line. And I can't understand it. And and to be honest, it's also led to a lot of issues when attacking as well, because Urente, uh is not the type to sort of get forward and overlap. And that's a huge part of our, our function and our system is overlapping and underlapping the winger um and and a player like him he's going to sit back and he's not going to get forward as much and and perhaps he needed it for the defensive solidity side of it but it just meant that in attack we were we were toothless really and um it doesn't make sense when you also have the, the options of Shackleton and Drame from the start i know Shackleton came on and didn't really impress but you'd just think that that would have made more sense he he is a right back more than urente is. Drama is a right-back, so they would offer something more going forward as well. So I, I couldn't quite understand that, and and Phillips really wasn't at it and as a centre-back this week. I know he played well against Kane last week, but I just I wasn't impressed, and, and I can't quite understand, but I think Bielsa might be uh, losing it a little bit, potentially. <laughs> Jacob, how about you? I
2: mean, w- what, what's your take on, on all of this? Because obviously we saw that back line switched around within about 20 minutes, I think. Was that Bielsa admitting that he'd made a mistake? I think it
3: probably is. Um, I, I don't think that... Whilst I don't think that we necessarily, in changing the, the personnel round, really affected the, the the state of the game or anything, I, I do think it, it felt a bit more natural. And I I I just can't help but think that Overall, he's just overthinking things and trying to solve specific problems and maybe not entirely appreciating the knock-on effect on in the bigger picture. Um, Llorente like being used at right-back, I think, is the most standout thing within that. And uh, as Adam's already said, wh- whilst it may have some effect in terms of his defensive work against Trossard, it does impact how we attack and it does impact how the rest of the team functions. But yeah, it's a, it, it's hard to know. Do you buy that line then that Llorente is
2: being used because we have, we're have we coming up against players who come outside in? I mean, we've done that a lot this season without needing to bring in Llorente. Is it that we, he, he didn't want to play Dallas across on the right? Is it because he doesn't trust Dallas in that situation? Is it because he doesn't trust Shackleton defensively?
3: What do you think that is the root cause of that? The thing that sort of maybe, I've maybe been struck by which I'm a bit... Confused by is it? I wonder if he almost feels a bit unwilling to play Phillips and Forshaw together, and and like he has, he did against Leicester, and he did in parts of this game. But it just feels like a few times now that would have really helped with like our control of the game if the, if if both of them were in the positions in midfield, and we haven't done that. I I, I don't I don't really buy that it's. Uh, I don't really buy what he's saying, but I also don't think it's a question of Dallas. I think that there's no one he trusts more than Dallas in the team. But So I don't know. And what I've said is complete speculation, of course. I feel as though this is what we sort of concluded in the last podcast, is
2: that it's hard to even make anything of this because you don't seem to be getting the benefits even when the game is going the way that you want it to go. I mean, we, we saw it against Spurs where we said, well, you know, Spurs are sitting back and it feels as though we've not got the defensive benefit of the back four that we put up. But then we had the second half and then it, it felt as though we immediately didn't have that benefit. And then we've come into this game, and we've immediately not had the benefit of of that back line again. From from what we've been said that it's going to be, and so we've seen it switching around as well. Um, Adam, what's your take?
4: It's it's not just about you know down the flanks having a bit more creativity when you've got proper fullbacks there as well. Is that midfield solidity that it would have fixed up? And I don't understand why when you have the option to play Phillips and Forshaw together, when an issue all season for us has been our midfield that we don't do it because that feels like. We, had a, maybe, we would maybe have a foothold in the game more. And against a team like Brighton, that's important. And we really didn't. They were a the much better team. I mean, Lamptey was terrific down the, the side as well. And uh, there's a lot I like about Potter. And But we can do better than this, and we haven't against Brighton. In all three games in the Premier League we played against them, they've had the better of us in every single one.
2: Well, that brings us on nicely to the third question, which is why do we struggle so much against Brighton? What's your take on
4: that? I think I mentioned it at the start. Potter seems to have Bielsa's number, and, and I think he does. Jacob and me were talking about it on Twitter actually yesterday a little bit, and he seems to do things a little bit different when he plays Leeds um, from the norm. And, and yesterday he played this 4-2-3-1, which you're not used to seeing from them, but it was really effective. I was I was really impressed with Trossard. I do really like him, think he's a good player, but his role was really important for them in the game in, in the sense of, He was playing on the left, so I'll possession when they were defending, he was having to double up on Rafinha quite a lot and that was really effective. And Rafinha had one of his quietest games. But also when they had the ball, he was finding really good positions in various areas of the pitch. Sometimes he was dropping between the central midfielders to pick up the ball and and drive with it. Sometimes he was just up there with more play and and he was trying to make things happen. But he often wasn't actually on the left when they had the ball. He was sort of congesting the middle or or coming over to the other side to to help with attacks and yeah he's really clever player and, and potter's a really clever manager and maybe that's potentially what it is um, so yeah but I, I can cut Rafinha some slack because um, even though it was his worst game for us probably the whole season you know he's got a lot more credit in the bank but not a lot of other players came out with credit I think Brighton were just really good and they nullified us in a lot of areas and the press was was really impressive Moda was impressive put, pressing up on Phillips I mentioned already the thing for me that stands
2: out is that Potter was at the Spurs game last weekend saw a master class in how to not play against leeds and against how to play against leeds in a 3-4-3 and still after having played 3-4-3 last season twice and and destroyed us really in both games was happy to just come up tear the tear the textbook up and go in that with that 4-2-3-1 which is i think the sign of a, a of a pretty smart manager would you agree
3: jacob absolutely and um I, th- I think he's really making use of the tools he's got at his disposal and with that I think it's worth noting that Brighton do have quite a lot of elements in their game that we might call sort of the kryptonite to Leeds. Um, so you've got the like the ball carriers capable of breaking lines with the carries at all levels of the pitch, you've got Webster, you've got Basuma, you've got a variety of players higher up as well. Um, and and then just like little things they do within the game plan like um obviously the passing moves and the third man runs were very effective yesterday um they keep their center backs really wide um so the central striker it, it finds it more difficult to to deal with both of them with that um minus one in attack that we have and um yeah as as adam noted they they did a really good job of neutralizing us out wide They did that as well last season in a different way with the the two sort of rhombuses in the 3-4-3, but that doubling up on Rafinha that Adam mentioned was especially effective. And yeah, rarely was he ever just free to get at Kukurea on his own. And between all those things, I think it shows that, yeah, Potter's a a smart manager and he's able to adapt adapt his team to what what we're doing and stop us. Yeah, interesting that you mentioned Rafinha and you both mentioned Rafinha and the
2: way that they dealt with him in your answers, and I wonder whether or not not playing the th- the back three for for Potter was because we started seeing Rafinha playing as a as a sort of outside forward on the on the on their left-sided centre-back. So we've seen that happening a little bit, and it means that Rafinha has the licence to go forward a little bit more. Whereas if you play with a back four, he's going to play on the the full-back. And if you get a player like Kukurea going forward a lot, it means it's just sort of dragging Rafinha out of the parts of the pitch where normally you don't want him to be. So I wonder whether or not the decision to go to a back four was based around Rafinha. But that's just something that's come to me. That's a really good thought. Right, let's talk about the substitutions in the second half jacob um we'll start with you um so obviously we saw phillips coming off which uh, we'll talk a bit more about phillips in the next question but um We've we've obviously seen him having a, a pretty torrid last couple of games, uh, and then we the other the other player who had a bit of a torrid game was was Junior Furpo, who got a yellow card within four minutes, uh, looked pretty pretty sketchy. Uh, there's a few moments where my heart was in my mouth with respect to red cards, uh, and I was obviously getting burned by Tarek Lamptey through through the game. Um, those two players were brought off, and Strat was brought on to go into the defensive midfield position, and Shackleton was brought on, switched place with with Dallas, uh, and and we and we sort of had quote-unquote more standard
3: fullbacks what did you make of those substitutions and do you think they changed the game I don't think they necessarily really really changed the flow of the game but I do think that they both as a rule did better than the people they replaced that one particularly dodgy back pass from Shackleton aside um I I think that Strouk probably handled Moda the best out of any of the people who were who were marking him at the various times in the game, although there were still various times when he got spun or passes were able to go past him. And I think he probably also contributed the most positively in possession as well. Not just, but especially that real, one real moment of quality in the game for that pass he sent over the top for Tyler Roberts um, just after Roberts came on and that with his weaker foot as well which absolutely should be lauded um but there were other 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 times when he was just he moved forward with the ball a bit at his feet or he, he got the ball with a nice um, like forward pass which we we weren't really seeing out of Dallas or Phillips in midfield prior to his introduction I, I i don't think shackleton was especially good but i don't think that aside from that one back pass that he was really any Worse than most of the team, and so in a sense, I think he probably elevated it a bit by not having as bad a game as Verpo did, but i do, yeah, I don't think they especially changed the course of the game for us,
2: so it sounds as though Jacob, what you're saying is that the leads took off players who were having bad performances and brought on better replacement players, but the the, the sort of general flow of the game roughly stayed the same for you,
4: yeah. Yeah. Would you agree with that, Adam? Yeah, I think especially with the left side of our team and the right side of Brighton's team, we needed to change something there. I, I will talk about Furpo later, but um, I think Dallas and James on the left was better um, when that was available to us um, because, well, Amity didn't get quite as much freedom as he did in the first half. And we did need to change something there. I'll be honest, um, the other substitutions we saw were obviously Roberts was, was one of them and he really impressed me. But at the time, I was really frustrated because I did want to see Gerhart come on. And um, I was pleasantly surprised with how Roberts did, to be honest. And you mentioned his XG at the start of the uh, show. And yeah, that was really promising. But I did really want to see Galhart. Potentially start to be honest, because I thought he'd earned it from the Spurs game, but I can see why Bielsa didn't do that either um but the the substitutions definitely improved things um i I felt like the first the first half was so bad that it couldn't really get any worse, but the second half was a little bit better and and I think the substitution definitely aided that
2: yeah for sure well let's let's just quickly talk about Roberts because I don't think we've got any anywhere else on the running order to talk about roberts so um in terms of in terms of bringing him on um over Gellhart, which I think a lot of people wanted. Um, I, I think we had a chat in the in the, the group chat yesterday just about how um, in a game like that, the, the the sort of conditions that you want a, your striker to be able to fulfil are going to be um, that they, they are able to take the ball down from the air and hold the ball up and allow the uh, the rest of the team to to come into that. Do you think on that basis that's the the reason why Roberts was preferred over Gelhart?
4: Potentially I think yeah definitely the the whole thing around him being a more of a focal point is is very fair uh, however I think Bielsa also just has this sort of blind loyalty to some players and Roberts has come on in every game this season that he hasn't started I think is the stat so it just seems to be a go-to as well so I, I don't know if it was a tactical thing or if it was you know what it's just I always bring on Tyler Roberts so I'll do it again um, I'd like to think it was tactical because he did actually and impact the game positively so hopefully we'll see more of that to come because I mean last time out he was really poor against Spurs and this time much much better. Um, I think LUFC data put out a little um, sort of analysis of him after the game and and it was really positive he had had a lot of good touches and shots in good areas as well so and you mentioned his xG at the start of the show which which is the most important thing for me he's he's having shots and testing Having said that, I think Josh said um, he'd like Gellert to have Gilhart, so had that left foot shot from the angle that Roberts had it because probably had a more chance of scoring.
2: Yeah, for sure. And then maybe just one final question on the striker situation: We've got Rodrigo
3: playing in midfield and Dan James playing up front. Like, how unideal is that? Very. <laughs> I'd much rather we played we, we played Roberts or Gellert up front and didn't play Rodrigo at all. But um, but I don't think that's particularly likely. <laughs> and i think i i do think there's very much something in what adam says about bl's are having a lot of loyalty to certain players and those two we have a lot invested in them both obviously literally in terms of the transfer fees but bl's are clearly likes and rates both of them hugely and will play them whenever he can and yeah there's a question about is, is that sometimes to the detriment of the uh of the cohesiveness of the whole team and I think there's certainly a case to be made that that is the case we
4: spoke about in the group chat Rodrigo and how the sort of press sort of falls apart with him a lot of the time because obviously he's the start of it and if he's not doing his job then it can all just fall to pieces but there's a double edged sword with Rodrigo because Sky put out at the start of the game that he'd created more open play chances than any Leeds player this season and even though we've seen him play quite poorly and he certainly did yesterday he was terrible yesterday um he can have a positive impact and especially in the home games we have had recently i feel like he's played quite well so he will play him again i think but i agree with jacob he's another player with us certainly blind loyalty i think and regardless of how he plays he's sort of oh we're going to play him and, and hope that he does something
2: yeah and let's move on then to the, the final question here which is what's wrong with with phillips because we we have to talk about that um I, I pointed out on the podcast last week that his his defensive stats have just sort of gone off a cliff recently um, there's clearly something not right with him I think insofar as last week he was played in center, central defence he was moved forward into central midfield and then moved back and then yesterday obviously was hooked at half time Bielsa said there was no injury issues uh, but we do know that he had had this sort of Issue with his hip. Um, at the same time, that he's had this issue with his calf, uh, and he hasn't really looked the same since. So, uh, I'll put this one to you first, Adam. What's what's wrong with
4: Phillips? It wouldn't be the first time when we played a Graham Potter team that Phillips has been hooked very early. I think if you go back through when we played Swansea, he was hooked after 28 minutes against them. So, it's not the first time Potter's found a way of nullifying him. But as a you know, bigger picture you're completely right he hasn't looked right for probably about five or six weeks now um although he did have a good first half against Spurs that aside I can't really remember him doing very much recently and it's strange because people talk about him as being this linchpin and the most important player in a lot of ways and he can be and especially if we want to start playing well with our wide players again because we're not using the whip as well as we did last season he can be really important to that and getting the ball out quickly to them um but he hasn't looked right and. It's it's difficult to say why. I do. Do you see a lot of speculation on Twitter? Has he had his head turned? Has he fallen out with Bielsa? I don't know if there is any of that. I just think players sometimes do go through a dip in form, or like Potter, some managers find a way of of sort of nullifying what they do and and putting a man on them to stop them doing it. And maybe Phillips is just going through a bit of a rough patch, and hopefully will come out a bit better. But we really need him for the next two games to be to be playing a lot better than he has because well, they're, they're so important. We need at least four points I think from the next two. So hopefully he's back to his best very, very soon.
2: Yeah, I should say that I think a lot of the speculation is is largely nonsense that, that I'm hearing. Um, there's people suggesting that he's not taking these seriously, that he's more interested in playing for England, whatever. I, th- I think that's largely nonsense because I think this is, at least in terms of his career, probably the most important season so far in, in his, his life. Like He he will be thinking about maybe moving on at the end of the season um, and and you don't if if you are in that position you are essentially treating this um season as a a chance to put your yourself in the shot window to a certain extent so i don't I th- the idea that he's sort of lost any interest in performing for leeds because of other reasons i just think is is nonsense i think as as you've said um adam this is very much about a, a dip in form i think he's a player who's very system dependent and the system isn't working at the moment and uh, and and that's partly playing into it and i also think that like I said, I just think that he's probably carrying some kind of underlying thing, which is not making him quite so mobile as he usually is as well. But um, Jacob, want to add anything to this sort of topic? What's your sort of general uh, opinion on this?
3: Basically, everything I had to say was covered by between the two of you. The only thing that I would maybe add to it would be, thinking about the last couple of games specifically, like the second half against uh, Tottenham and then the time he was on the pitch against Brighton, those were two teams who were looking to get the ball off us high up the pitch and looking to press us. And Calvin's got lots of really good attributes, but I don't think that press resistance is one of his absolute strengths. And I can't remember exactly about the Swansea game under Potter, exactly how much we were pressed then, but I can certainly think about the Swansea game just before we were promoted when with that Pablo goal. And Calvin found that very hard coming up against Conor Gallagher In in that game, which obviously bodes very well for Tuesday, and um, (laughs) I think that that definitely plays some part to it. And one other thing that I just thought of while we were talking was he's a quite proactive um, defender. He um, like compared to say when Pascal's playing a defensive midfield, he's more sort of ball oriented and more aggressive. And there's lots of situations where that's very good. And I think that was a real positive for him against Harry Kane specifically that a player who dropped deep and Bielsa obviously talked about that being his logic for using him there but I don't think that worked as well against Mope and I remember specifically that chance that Mope had about eight minutes in that one that where Lamptey just slid it across the box and um, it felt like Mope, that exactly the same thing as Mope's goal against us in the home game last season. Calvin there is ball watching and he's he's sort of Falling off Mope is standing in a place, sort of taking up a zonal position where they, we've already got coverage and is free. And if Mope was somebody else, then that was probably a goal. <laughs> so I think, yeah, his individual defensive style probably suits some games better than others. And being under pressure isn't the, his strongest suit.
4: I completely agree with that. I think regarding press resistance, I think that's definitely true. And, and something that we keep mentioning, which is potentially... Something that could help fix this is if he had another midfielder with him, would he play better? Especially if you're talking about him being system dependent. In some games, if we had another midfielder that was pressure resistant, would that potentially help Calvin Phillips? I'm not sure. Maybe it would. I definitely think we need one in January, though.
2: Yeah, I think my issue with this sort of notion that we'll get fixed with a the, with the midfielder is that because we're so man-on-man oriented, the, the issue becomes that as soon as you have a weak link, and teams start pressing you, then it doesn't matter if you've got the most press-resistant partner in the world. You're still going to have those sorts of issues. But I, I yeah, I, I do agree that we we definitely could do with another midfield option uh, in, in January. And um, yeah, let's hope that, that something transpires.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkled down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
2: Enough of my questions. Let's move over to your questions. Uh, this is the bring a topic section. So we'll start with you, Adam. What do you, do you want to talk about this
4: week? Uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about um, Dan James a little bit and, and also Jack Harrison. I said, what will it take for Bielsa to take Dan James out from up front as a Bamford alternative? Because he's done this a few times now in recent weeks. Do we need a signing or some some proper cover there? Um, and also, i agree with something that Josh said in the group chat which was that he doesn't think that uh, if Rafinha's playing that we should have both Harrison and James on the pitch at the same time the only time that I think they both should be playing from the start together is when Rafinha's out they're out or injured or whatever it might be I think they're both better at left wing so I would rather have one of them than both in that sense but the main question was actually about him playing up front, I, I just don't want to see it anymore and, and what what does it take for Bielsa to stop doing that as an experiment?
3: So there's a little bit of me, and this may be a naive bit of me that <laughs> um, looks at the comments that Bielsa made after the game, noting that we were better with Roberts up front and him making that change and we don't see it anymore. But I don't really think that that will necessarily happen because he also, in that press conference, talked about how Dan James did a lot of good things up front in the game against Leicester a few weeks ago and I think he did some really good pressing stuff up front, but I wasn't especially sold on him in terms of what he offered in an, in an attacking sense. Um, and so I guess I wonder if there's more games like this one against Brighton, where Brighton have the centre-backs quite wide and it's harder for him to make a lot of impact defensively, whether he starts to look at that and think, actually, what is Dan James contributing if he's not able to contribute that? Um, so that's that's I feel like the thing that would force his hand but as I'll touch on later in another question I, I do think he puts so much sort of stock in the what they do off the ball that he's, he's really valuing that even if James isn't contributing as well in the um, offensive side of things um, and then if I touch briefly on Harrison and James um, I, I agree with what you say Adam and agree with the point that Josh made that you, you sort of reference um, it's it just feels like too much duplication to have them both in the team unless we need them both in the team. Um, I guess I feel like both of them kind of flourish with having like a fixed tactical role. And we, we don't want to have to give too many of those players like really specific instructions about um, you keep your position out wide and other players will do more of the, the sort of like combination play and stuff. Um, I, I think it's better if we just have one or the other doing that and, which one of them it is probably depends on the opposition we're playing and and how they how they will be best attacked. These questions sort of raise another question for me which is like what
2: sort of lineup are we expecting on Tuesday because we've been completely wrong-footed by the last few um do we think that Bealster is going to go back to basics, or do you think that he's going to sort of tweak things up? I'll, I'll push this over to to Adam actually, um, in, in in light of the question, because I, I think that do do you think that there's a plausible chance that we may see Dan James up front again? on Tuesday, or do you think it's going to be the case that Bielsa's going to be like, right, this experiment isn't working, I'm going to go back to a sort of standard-ish back for um, what what are what a Palace playing, sort of 3-4-3, three, 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 maybe a 3-4-2 themselves. So it's going to be the same sort of structure with maybe a bit of tweaking in midfield. I don't think it will make too much of a difference. Do you just go for a, a sort of absolutely nailed on 4-1-4-1 4-1 with your sort of best players in this, in those sorts of positions and a, and a res- resembling striker up front, or do you think we, we see some kind of... I, I think it was a Darren Darren who described it as a um a, what was the phrase that he used end of days formation or something like that <laughs> uh, from Bielsa do you think what what do you think we'll see from the sort of formation on Tuesday
4: I think it might largely be the same as what we've seen today especially in an attacking sense I don't think he'll drop Dan James out from there even though uh, the comments that Jacob alluded to that he was positive about Roberts I, I just don't see him changing it I think James presses and that's what he likes and I think he'll just stick with that the thing that he might change is the defense um, and some of those players around especially because of first post performance but also just playing players where they should be potentially Phillips might go back into midfield or he might be dropped completely I'm not sure I think that's probably the area of the pitch you might see more change rather than in an attacking sense the kind of hope I'm wrong I hope Roberts does start or Gelhart one of them because maybe it'll be different and, and we'll have a bit more of a focal point up there. So um, I would like to see that. But again, it might just be one of those things where if it's all going wrong, he changes it at half-time. He's, he's not reluctant to do that. He's always been very, very um, up for doing changes at half-time or even
3: earlier if, if it has to be done and if he thinks that something needs to change. Well, Jacob, what did you want to talk about? I'll continue on the theme of me referencing Bielsa's press conference after the game. Um, he seemed quite happy well maybe maybe that's unfair uh, putting words in his mouth but he said he was satisfied with the second half um, at least uh, specifically compared to the first half um, and he'd said if we had the first half of Tottenham and the second half of this game then he'd be happy and I mean, I, I do think that the second half yesterday was better than the first half, but I, I wasn't, like, bowled away with it or anything, and I wondered why why he thinks that, why you guys think he, he said that.
4: I'm unsure, really. That is a strange one because I wasn't enamoured with the second half performance either. It was marginal, went from a 2 out of 10 to a 3 out of 10, really. I'm not happy with a 3 out of 10. We've played much better than the second half yesterday in in some games this season. I'm more looking at a game like Leicester or Watford as a, a full, complete performance. Uh, I think that was really strange, I'm going to be honest. Um, I don't know why he said that. I don't know if he's trying to just give the players a bit of like hope almost. Oh, you played a lot better. But they they were marginally better. Brighton was still the better team and still had more of the chances in the second half, even though it was a slightly more even game. Um, They should have been outside, really. So I I can't really get my head around that, apart from maybe just morale. (laughs) I can't really see another reason why he would say that.
2: I think that's a fair explanation. I think Bielsa does use press conferences primarily as a as a way of sort of boosting his players as well, if he can, uh, which is why in previous seasons he said every player is the most important player that we've got at, at certain times before selling Pontus Janssen to to Brentford. But um, I'm I'm interested, Jacob, to hear your take on. I mean, obviously in the first half in against Spurs, we looked good, but then they didn't put us under a huge amount of pressure at the back. Second half they did, and we looked we looked pretty shonky. Um, do you think there's a similar sort of way of viewing the game yesterday? Do you think that they put us under a lot more pressure in the first half, and then they were happy to happier to be a little bit more reticent in the second half? Do you think there's anything in that, and do, how much do you think that was what changed at halftime, rather
3: than the changes that we made? I think there probably is something something in that. Um, I mean, I, I did feel like that a bit in the the certainly the live watch of the game. I, I guess it didn't. I, I wasn't overly struck. In the rewatch, by Brighton being demonstrably deeper, but I, I I do think there probably was a bit less intensity, and for whatever reason, and, I, and I'm sure that him being there had some impact on it. Dallas at left back definitely made Lampy quieter, um, and and um, uh, no no doubt that that's a positive that 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 their sort of key attacking player created less in the second half. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I think I think that probably does go sort of maybe some way some way to describe it. Um, probably a bit later on as well. Brighton were a bit more stretched as they were like we we really need to get a goal out of this, and we we I think we got a bit more able to progress the ball th- through carries. I can think of a few examples of Dallas carrying the ball forwards, not necessarily sometimes to allowing us to like make a a more threatening piece of possession sometimes not but at least actually getting the space to do it so yeah I think that for, for the game sort of evolved a bit that did allow that to happen and so yeah I, I guess it's it's another interesting question of how much is it the opposition and how much of it is us actually proactively making a difference. I think Strauch actually made a fairly big dif- difference in terms of Progressing the ball,
2: I think he he had a couple of hairy moments here and there where he could have done better, um, could have played better passes, could have uh, released the ball quicker. But I think in general, just the the fact that he was happy, he was one like putting a decent amount of pressure. There's a few good interceptions that he made. He did, yeah. Uh, But also the fact that he was again able to pick the ball, run into space, and was looking to be quite progressive. I think that made a little bit of a difference for us. and yeah, like you said, Dallas just sort of being happy to run in, run into that space. Um, but just before we move on to the listener questions, how would you answer your question? Why do you think
3: Bielsa felt that the second half was, was satisfactory? I think the best answer is probably to mirror the answer that you, you gave and sort of think about it. Uh, sorry, you both gave um, and to think about it in terms of um, using it as a sort of morale boosting function um, m- more than anything else. And I'm sure he'll be happy as well, the fact that we sort of, actually created some chances even though there was only one that was especially good and there's also a debate as to how much you can say we created that chance but at least it happened whereas in the first half i can think of just like a couple of shots from outside the box or that one that Jan James tried to have a left-footed volley at and he missed um missed the ball so i'm sure he he'll be happier with the there being more shot production as well but um i do think it's primarily for the morale well let's move on to the listener questions plenty of
2: good questions yesterday actually so thank you for everyone who sent them in Uh, we'll kick off with a question from jeff dent um, who says my question has been also become fixated on what the opposition are doing tactics and substitutions and neglecting what we do regards our attacking output the focus lies more with us without the ball these days than with be interested to know your thoughts keep up the good work um, Adam I'll come to you on this one what's your take
4: I think we've mentioned it already but it, he's definitely been overthinking things a lot more this season um, especially with things like you seeing your ends right back and Phillips at centre-back and and just this big mess that I can't quite understand like I said square pegs in round holes um, there's definitely that element of it where he's overthinking it but I also think there's a lot of weight that fans put on how we play being down to us sometimes and sometimes I think you have to remember that the opposition and their game plan can affect how badly we play and um, and that can be a function of that really um, on what they've done rather than our oh, leads are playing badly today. It's actually Brighton are playing well and it's stopping us from playing playing well ourselves so then Bielsa is forced I guess then in that instance to, to tweak it and we had to in the second half and it did improve things slightly but yeah it's definitely a fair point he's definitely been overthinking a lot more this season and there's definitely been games where he's had to tweak things at some point during the game more than last season where the game plan worked, and we've been able to just sustain that for the entire game um and i, I don't really know where this stops because um it does seem to he i don't want to say lost the plot I think I did say that earlier I don't really mean that, but definitely overthinking is the word And uh, yeah,
3: I remember um that there were a variety of sort of interviews done sort of over the end of the transfer and doing things with Victor Orta in various places and I, I can't remember which one and I didn't have time to find it but there was something where he was talking about like the uh, how they go about looking for players and, and he was talking about the physical output of, of the players being like the number one thing and it's not anything that we didn't already at the very least suspect but I do think that's kind of quite telling for what the club are sort of trying to do and um, focus so much on this running and this off the ball stuff when like no other team runs as much as us and it doesn't stop them from doing better than us. Like the better teams don't have to run as much as we do. And obviously our players aren't as good as some other teams. And so we have to try and offset that by doing something else better. Um, but signing somebody like Dan James, and I do think it does have to, in a sense almost come back to recruitment and um, signing someone like Dan James when, at least to us it felt very obvious that the kind of profile of winger we needed was somebody with a bit more guile and somebody who would be able to have sort of more effect in tight areas sort of does suggest to me that that, um, that Jeff is right and that we are focusing so much on stopping the opposition and obviously that's a very important thing and it's a very foundation, foundational thing for us in terms of we let, the way we let out our formations but yeah, we, we probably are doing it too much and I, I would, yeah, much rather see us compromise, feels like a weird word, but like compromise that a tiny bit and have played Roberts or Gelhart up front in the last game, particularly. Um, to, Each of them would have offered more of a presence up front in different ways, but each of them would have done much more so than Dan James did. And again, the same kind of thing is... Um, shown off if if you buy if you believe what he says about why he's used Yurente at right back he he said in the press conference that Urente was a right back who didn't have to go up and as Adam mentioned earlier on our, our right back um being involved in the attacking play is a very again foundational thing for us like Luke Ayling um his, his role in our attacks and the ball progression is so vital and Urente just doesn't seem to be able to do that in the same way and it offers a lot of like he, he does a lot of long passing but that was not good yesterday that his long pass completion was really low um, and obviously that's not just down to the pass but also down to the recipient but if that's all that you, you're doing from right back it, it is a bit of a concern and yeah I, I, I don't see why Dallas couldn't have done that I'm not a massive fan of Dallas at right back but at least he does offer something in the build up play and the attacking sense as well
2: yeah, he certainly supports Rafinha better than Llorente did yesterday as well. It just felt as though mm. Rafinha was a little bit isolated and it was just sort of, we were pinging the ball and inshaling it to him. But <laughs> yeah, let's move on from this. But it does sound as though what what we're saying is is that when, when our... I think the thing I found this see, season has been that our pressing only really works when we control the ball at some points during the game. Because as soon as we get into these situations where all we can do is Pump the ball forward, lose possession. Our press and our struct- pressing structure in particular just isn't um, set up properly to then engage in that press. So we need to be able to c- control the ball, move the ball down the field. Because when we get, if we're losing the ball down the field from from sort of build up play, then we can quickly um, engage in that counter press. If we're just kicking the ball down the field, we just don't have any time to get anyone in the right position. And the opposition can just constantly bombard us back. The ball just comes back and back and back at us. It's what we saw in the Spurs second half. It's what we saw a lot of the time yesterday when um, the ball is just sort of hit, hopefully. The, the, the least player doesn't make it. The
3: centre-back picks it up and then they restart their, their attack. That's a real Burnley Boxing Day or whenever it was last year vibes as well. Yeah,
4: yeah. It's not just the the pressing that's sort of not as good this season, though, is it? It's, it? A lot of our wing play is just not as good as it was. It was just a, such a big part of our system and our, and the way we functioned, and and perhaps Ailing will help that when he comes back as well with his you know your progressive runs and, and running down the side so that Rafinha can cut in more. But we used to cut the ball back so often last season and score from that, and a part of me is hoping that when Bamford's back that becomes more of an option for us with his sort of movement and his presence up there but that's just not there this season either and and maybe it is that as jeff said um we are focusing more on the opposition and what they're doing in their attacks rather than our own attack but we've just lost an extra what 20 30% in that instance and and it's frustrating because it's such an effective thing we've done for basically three years of Bielsa and we're not doing it as much anymore and like a player like Rafinha we know what he's got he's got that x factor and he can do it but he's not doing it as much himself because he's not got an assist yet and Dan James and Harrison really aren't doing it and and I think Darren was talking to someone on Twitter that I saw earlier Harrison's more reluctant to cross the ball and perhaps when Bamford's back that will fix things a little bit because he'll be a little less reluctant to do so um but I'm putting so much weight and onus on like the likes of Bamford coming back or, or a midfielder coming in, and it's just, they're just not necessarily going to fix it. I'm just hoping they are more than anything. Question two from Chris Delaney.
2: Where does Firpo go from here? Not impressed at all. We've gone backwards at left-back. Jacob, what do you make of the left-back
3: situation? The first thing that I should absolutely make clear is that uh, there's a lot of discourse around pining to have Gianni Elioski back. And we were all saying he was the position that needed to be upgraded. I, I, I certainly understand and share concerns about Furpo, but but yeah, Ali, Alioski isn't the solution. I think about a game like this game last season or particularly the Fulham game um last season where he was just conceding corners for no reason and um he he is a player that we did need to move on from. With Furpo, um I I do I do think we it is important to acknowledge that of all the things to adapt to when coming to Leeds, the thing that is p- the most different to, for for players coming from elsewhere is playing man-marking. And the one thing that's, I, I guess, made that particularly hard for Furpo is that he's had several injuries and COVID. And so those things have stopped him from really getting into a rhythm um, and consistently being able to train and things. And it could be that he's like Rodrigo. he He, he could be a player that takes a bit of time to get up to speed again after an injury. I mean take those substitute appearances Rodrigo would have um last season, not at the very end of the season, but in the games before, where he would come on and it would just look very confusing as to what he was doing. This said, um it it wasn't a good performance yesterday by Furpo. And when you're up against somebody like Tariq Lamptey, who is like, just amongst other things, so fast you, you could tell that even Furpo wasn't able to sort of match him for speed. You've got to be able to have good positioning, good anticipation. And, and we really weren't seeing that yesterday. So those kind of things he is going to definitely need to be able to show progression against. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's beyond him necessarily, although there are definitely certain kinds of players he is able to defend better than others. And I remember one moment just before the end of the first half, where lamptey was really sort of given given the um like that he could go both ways and it completely threw verpo um but i I, mean, I don't think it's beyond him but i i do think that those elements to his game do need to be a lot better and that isn't even really to say anything about how he played sort of in possession i I, I don't really mind him in build up but again sort of going going forward we haven't really yet seen that sort of wing back that you saw at rail Betis, you've he he does quite a lot of inverting which isn't necessarily a bad thing but really all all i could see from his inversions were a few overhit right-footed long passes and so we, we we need to see more from him sort of in both facets of his game i mean i
4: agree with almost everything jacob's just said there to be honest he's he's pretty much ticked every box i wanted to say i just think there's a lot of reactionary fans around furpo and and how poor he's been or whatever it might be but again you just got to give it time uh, this revision of them um, on aliaski really needs to stop It's like you said it's it's a position we knew we needed to upgrade on we tried to upgrade on it it might still be that furpo is an upgrade we just need to give it more time for me and i mean from what we've seen at at Rail Betis, he was such a better player on the ball than Aliosky and in build up, and we haven't seen loads of that yet. We've just seen it in flashes, but hopefully we do see more because that was that was potentially uh, Alioski's main weakness. That. In build-up, he wasn't wasn't good enough. Having said that, he also did give away a lot of free kicks and corners when we weren't great from set pieces, which was always really frustrating. But yeah, I'll, I'll keep it short because I think Jacob's pretty much hit the nail on the head with that.
3: I do agree it's obviously important that we give people time, but I do think as well there are things that we are able to observe with players from their, from the, their inception in a team, and I think we've done that with Dan James, and I think there are definitely things with Furpo that we can note that he has to has to do better in order to function and, and we can give him that time because he's been sort of in and out of the team with injuries and that's been stop-start but yeah I, I do think there's definitely um sort of those things around that, that kind of positioning and keeping with his man that we do need to see ironed out. The, the big thing for me
2: was the risk that they took in bringing in
3: Junior when they knew that we were selling
2: a left back we didn't have any backup until pretty much like specialist backup until basically the under 18s like we don't have an under 23s natural left back and so this I think for me this this had to be an appointment that was just solid didn't need to be anything that was like too clever didn't need to be anything that was like gonna break 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 everyone's brains but the, the problem has been that we've brought in a player who's obviously he had a weird career he's had injuries in his career he's been a, not playing for a, a couple of seasons because he was sort of moved probably beyond his level too early on and I think just the, all of those combinations just mean that it, that it was it was always a massive risk for this this sort of um, this sort of transfer to work out and I think we're sort of living with that now um, but I think we've 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 talked Furpo to death so let's move on to question three um, which is from Brolin ate the pie um, Good, good friend of the podcast will sends in good questions. So um, he says, "Is this something deeper than systems?" My growing sense here is that the team is losing faith in the approach. Ponder at your leisure, but I'm right. Um, what do we make of this? Is it, uh, Adam is is the
4: team losing faith in the system? We talked about this a little bit in the group chat this morning. Is about Bielsa's long term future with us, and is this going to be his final season? And there's been a bit of speculation that's come out after yesterday. I think and. I don't really want to be drawn on that because I just can't be sure and you just don't know where Bielsa's heads at or the board or, or whoever, but he does have a lot of credit in the bank, but he does make a lot of, not, I don't want to say mistakes, but things we just can't quite understand this season and, and certain things he sets up with from the start but also substitutions he makes throughout the game and it doesn't always make sense but at the same time I did touch on this does some of this get fixed with players like Bamford returning Ailing returning you know will this make a difference we we'll, we'll hope it does we need to see Ailing play potentially a lot better than he did at the start of the season because um, he didn't start well but that is the hope and then maybe sort of I don't want to say people have lost faith with Bielsa but maybe a bit of that faith will come back because I think there's there's definitely been some losing even if it's not lost yet
3: I sort of agree that I I don't want to be too drawn yet into saying that I I feel like there's a sort of discontent within the squad I, th- I think it's still maybe a it's it's too early to necessarily say that but i i do again agree about the um sort of the the decisions that I've, i'm finding a bit more strange like these things with people being in these positions that don't really seem to fit them um last season i i feel like there was a lot less of that like i would i'd say that probably about rodrigo in midfield that, that that's always been a bit of a weird fit and i'm and A lot of people will say that as well about having centre-halves cover um, Calvin in Calvin's absence last season. But those were like the only things. But this season, we are starting to see stuff like that happen quite a lot more. And I I think that that's certainly indicative of problems with squad building and the the approach that we've sort of taken in the the transfer window since promotion, um, that there are still players in key positions that we are relying on and they don't really have uh, natural backup like, we don't seem to have an answer when Bamford's out. Uh, ailing out means that we have to play some so, various players, none of whom completely mirror what he does. And those aren't the only... Um, uh, Calvin's not a good example. Um, obviously, foreshore back does help with that to some extent. But um, I, I think that's the thing that, if I sort of reflect on in a, a sort of bigger picture, is the thing that concerns me most is just what, what we've tried to do with the recruitment that we've done. Well... I've got one bonus question here from from our good friend, Martin Riley,
2: about cheese, which I promised I would ask. (laughs) So he asked us what our favourite cheese was amongst the the three of us today. So, Jacob, I'm I'm sure you are a discerning man. I'm sure you have a long list of your favourite cheeses. Uh, I'm interested to find out which one is at the very top of that list.
3: So... uh... In terms of what I ate the most, and that the boring <laughs> answer is cheddar, but I feel like the thing I like the most is probably like somewhere in the sort of school of like Jarlsberg, uh, Emmental, Gruyere, something like that. Um, I, I quite enjoy the sort of like holy, slightly nutty kind of cheese. Like, that's really nice. Yeah. So cheddar is your Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Gruyere is your Rafinia. Wonderful.
4: Adam, how about you? You're asking the right person. <laughs> this, my favourite thing in the world is cheese to be honest, um, big cheese connoisseur um, I'm a big fan of a Gruyere as well but I really like a Wensleydale and Morrison's do one mixed with Cranberry at Christmas time and it's so good so I'd probably go something like that but honestly I could sit and talk about this for ages because I just love so many different ones, <laughs> Brie is another favourite of mine, I have quite a lot, it's just yeah there's a lot of cheese I really love.
2: Yeah I feel as though talking about cheese might be more enjoyable for us at the moment they're talking about Leeds but I'm just going to say Applewood smoked absolutely banging cheese for me just hits the spot perfectly um, so there you go Martin hope, hope you enjoyed our cheese chat in the interest of time I think we'll skip this the Statrick Bamford question I was going to talk a little bit about Adam Webster carrying the ball a lot but we all know that centre-backs can carry the ball a lot uh, against us so I'll, I'll leave that out we
3: know that about Webster specifically as well yeah
2: sure Let's just move on to quickly touch on the, the game preview. So the next game that we're playing, as we've mentioned, is the, the Palace game on Tuesday night at Elland Road. I've already interviewed Ruben Pinder of Joe, and we've done a discussion of that game uh, on our Patreon channel. So do you go across there and check it out. That's www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? And uh, That's just a, an in-depth discussion with him about where, where Palace are at this season and and the way that they're playing, and uh, plenty for you to get out of that ahead of the game. I'll give you all of the preview material that you'll need just a quick quick one for you guys we won't discuss this but i just i'm interested in to hear what you will be looking
3: out for in this game so jacob what are you looking out for in this game i had put down whether we might see your enter right back again but we've sort of talked about that so i'll just um mention something that ruben mentioned in the um in the preview which was that he suspected that palace would have some differences to their team based on who played at the weekend and they played michael aliseo on the right wing um and so he reckons that probably means that they'll play Jordan Ayu there who's a hard more maybe hard working player but sort of i guess sort of less spark than Elise might have so i wonder if that might be an easier game for Furpo or or not or even if we might see a different person at left back
2: yeah, I think that IU is going to be pressing a lot more than Elise would be. So I wonder whether or not that was taken into consideration as well. Uh, Adam, what's the thing you wanted to take away
4: from- I had the performance of Conor Gallagher to compound my misery. and uh, <laughs> But jokes aside, I'm actually just interested to see how we line up and also how we respond. Because in the three last home games, the 1-0 draw with Leicester, the 1-0 draw with Wolves and the 1-0 win against Watford, I think that's probably our three best performances of the season. So it has certainly improved at home. At least slightly, and I'm hoping for more of the same, and and hoping for a performance which is much better than what we saw yesterday against Brighton
2: well thank you both for your insights been really enjoyable chatting about a not enjoyable game with you as I've said (laughs) the the game on Tuesday against Palace will be the the next thing that we talk about we'll do a double header I think on Wednesday where we'll review the Palace game and I'm talking to David Anderson of Beast Tactical about the Brentford game the following weekend so we'll make that into a double header and um, yeah plenty for you to get your ears into on that one as well but I think that brings us to the end of the podcast so all there is for me to do is to say thank you jacob thanks very much thank you adam
4: thank you very much for having me again
2: and we'll see you all next week